we don't want to bore you with details. You just need, as a tenant, you just need to know what's going to hit me in the pocket and how can I make sure I, I minimise that as much as possible. This week, I'll be talking to my sister Jane on leases, WeWork, and other items will come up in our new section on the wider business world, and we'll be providing you with service and product updates from Mushroom. Hey everyone, so today on our third episode with on Business with the Fun Guys, we'll be talking about leases. Ed, who do we have today with us? Well, we have my sister, so... And she's the coolest of the all sermons, right? Yeah, 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 well, yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, so she, she's, yeah, she came on. Um, obviously, we'll do the intro in a second, but yeah, she she's actually, I mean, she's got good clients and she does very well. And I think anyone who, you know, anyone we know that has a problem with leases, you know, she is probably nearly the, you know, one of the first people we we go to because she doesn't, you know, she really does know her stuff, you know, sister aside. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, I think you should just dive in. Hi, today I'm with Jane Sermon owner and solicitor of Jane Hartley Associates uh, in Manchester. Jane is the queen of King Street when it comes to commercial property. She counts institutions, alternative funds and high net worth individuals as her clients and I'm a little bit biased because she's my sister. When uh, deciding to get my, our first episodes out there, uh, we were looking at who would say yes easily. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, has some experience with uh, audio broadcasting because obviously you used to run your own radio show, didn't you, Jane? I did indeed. Call the Monster Show, Salt yeah. City Radio. Yeah, yeah, and you played the. Um, I was the mini monster. Yeah. And Rob was the major monster. Yeah, and you used to do all the solicitor thing where you could say, "Oh, yeah, you know, we can't quite say that." Is that right? Yeah, the show was more about kind of saying the things that people didn't say so I was the one who had to keep Rob in check which was pretty tricky at times I have to say. <laughs> so I'm bringing you on here today to talk about leases because um, part of the the Your Business for Fungi series is that we have topical uh, and technical discussions around certain important things that small business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs need to think about uh, when starting out and actually getting some information on these things early on is always a big win uh, and obviously commercial leases can be a, a big sticking point for, for sort of your first time entrepreneur um, so let's just go dive straight in you're a first time entrepreneur you're going to need a place to, to rent um, and use um, what, what kind of things are you going to look for? Okay, so the first thing an um, a entrepreneur needs to look at is obviously find the right premises for them and it very much depends on the business that they're operating. So, for example, uh, offices, which would probably be the easiest one, B1 users as we call them, uh, they'll obviously find the premises that they think would fit their business, location, etc. Uh, they will then contact us once they've done a deal, usually, with an agent and say, these are the premises I like. Uh, but when a when a business owner is looking for premises, obviously it has to fit the bill for the business that they're promoting. So, like I say, offices is probably the easy one. Hairdressers are always going to look in the high streets, etc. But just finding the premises is just one element. The lease is the main thing where it, it's a product. It's almost like a product to lease, which a landlord has to extract as much cash as he can from that building. So 
whilst it's great that an entrepreneur finds premises, they really need to think about the terms of the lease, which is where we come in. Yeah, and normally you actually tend to do a lot more work on the landlord side because just your client base is more on the investor side, but you do you do both sides and you, you like to think yourself as a bit of a Gemini is what you were saying, and you yeah, shouldn't I, be... And you yeah, shouldn't I'm have... a Virgo, but yes, I am, I'm a bit of a Gemini. Um, yes, I have been very fortunate in my career that I've worked both with landlords and tenants. I've worked with very big corporate tenants, building up their portfolio of offices to operate their business, etc., and so yeah I've gained experience from both sides which I think has set me in good stead so I'm pretty good on the phone with another lawyer who's acting for a landlord I'm equally good as a tenant once I get my teeth into something I don't let go um what a lot of tenants don't realize especially new businesses is the financial implications it will have on them in the long run so whilst it's all nice and lovely at the start it's when you come to the end of the lease where the disasters can happen and can hit their cash flow, which is obviously extremely important when running a business, as I well know. Mm. So what kind of things can uh, bite you in the bottom when you uh, <laughs> leave uh, a lease as a small business owner? I think the main, the main element is always what we call in the trade dilapidations. So when uh, an entrepreneur comes to me, explains, obviously we've got quite a tight budget, etc., uh, the first thing I'm always going to say to them is, send me your hands of terms, don't tell anybody you're sending them to me, and I will give you some input on what I think you should do. The main thing where landlords will basically hit you in the pocket is dilapidations, which basically is to, in connection with repairing obligations. So what I tend to recommend to any tenant is that when negotiating a lease, always make sure you've got a schedule of condition. And the schedule of condition is basically setting out the standard of that of those premises at the time you take the lease. Mm. I think it's only fair uh, to tenants that they should only be expected to put that back into the same state as it was when they first took it. Uh, they've been using it, so it's only right that the landlord should be given back what he'd provided in the first instance. Most landlords will expect a full repair and insuring lease, which is where you can where tenants can get into difficulty. So, I, but I always always emphasise that it's really important to get a schedule of condition. The difference could mean something from ten thousand on a schedule of condition to say fifty thousand plus. So we're talking a lot of money because if you have a full repairing lease, depending on the terms of that lease you could be expected to put it back into a better state and condition than it was in the first instance. Now, you're running quite a tight budget in this situation. Yeah. Say, for example, D-Labs, the building uh, hasn't been surveyed. Well, you're not taking a surveyor out yourself and say you find that uh, you've, got, can, you've got, say, wiring electricals that are not to the standards that you'd be expecting as a, as a tenant and then say it comes to the end of your tenant end of your tenancy end of your lease three years five years and it turns out that you've got to contribute to rewiring or fixing the cabling inside that building how 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 can you spot those things early on to make sure that you well that, that's why you have the schedule of condition yeah so you would i would always recommend to a tenant i know it's an expense for a tenant to get a surveyor out there but actually, it's an expense that you don't want to not have. 
because they're actually the, that's actually the person that's going to save you a huge amount of money in the long run. It may well be. It is a bit of a gamble in the sense, if it's a new build, one might think, well, actually, why do I want to bother with the surveyor? It's a new build. I'm sure everything's all good, and we obviously check the due diligence. But even if it's a new build, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. I've come across various new builds where we've had absolute horrific problems, which you know, I won't go into. But um, so it's it's if you're going to spend your money as a as a as a new business getting premises, it is important to get a good surveyor to a inspect it, carry out the schedule of conditions, survey it, and equally get the lawyers to document it, which is where I come in. But uh, it's, it's extremely important. I can't emphasise that enough. Right. So before we go any further, let's just do some jargon busting. Okay. okay? So because you talked over a few technical terms, we've dived straight into the deep end. Let's just, just take it down a step. Okay. Lease. Uh, a lease is basically a set of rules and it's for a certain period of time in which you can occupy premises at a certain rate. That's good. Uh, dilapidation. That's at the end of the lease when you have to hand back the property to the landlord and you need to carry out certain repairs and if you don't then you may be liable to the landlord for the costs he sustains putting the property back pursuant to the terms of the lease. Schedule of condition. That is a document which sits behind the lease which basically states the condition of the property at the time you take occupation. Surveyor. Surveyor, they're the guys that go around the building and make sure it's not about to fall down and blow up. Property agent. Property agent is basically somebody who's advertising premises to let. Uh, state agent. State agent. Like, yeah, like a like an estate agent, in effect. Cool. Right, so, just while we've just gone quick fire on the terms uh, there in that, in, 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 in that bit of the interview, let's just talk about now uh, some of the, the structure of a lease what you should you know you say you're you know you've, you haven't seen a lease before in your life mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a 45 page document you're like oh god what, what's in here you know um, you, you have no idea where you're um, <laughs> where you're working from and you're thinking wow this is just a voluminous amount of text let's go through the structure of one okay so the structure of a lease this is where the lawyer comes in because yeah we always appreciate that for, especially for an entrepreneur who's taking premises for the first time, it's quite an, it's like a huge document. It's like, crikey, what does all this jargon mean? As you rightly put it out. Uh, the main things a tenant needs to know, we would always highlight in summary when we censor them, but in brief terms, it's okay, what's the rent? How long, have I, or how long can I occupy it? So, what's the term? Am, am I getting a rent free period? That means uh, when a when you're, when you're a young business, it's very important to try and get a, a rent-free period. The reason for that is you've obviously got your fit-out costs that you need to factor in and you need to establish your business. You might need a, lead, a bit of help in hand on the old cash flow. So and most, important, Sorry, the important thing there is actually lots of landlords are quite willing to give that absolutely. for long-term leases. Yeah, so if, you've got, if you're committing for a certain period of time, they're, they're more than willing to give you a rent-free period. They, you know, at the end of the day, they want their rent, and so they want to make sure that the tenant's comfortable and got the ability to mm. pay it. It's very different to residential. Oh, completely. <laughs> it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Um, the other thing is rent reviews. Uh, so, for example, if you took a 10-year lease, generally, this is just generally, it's always a matter of negotiation, but one would expect to have a rent review in year five. 
so that's something else to factor in. A lot of entrepreneurs want to make sure they've got a break clause so that they can terminate the lease at a certain stage of the term of the lease. Uh, again, for example, a 10-year lease, one would expect a break clause in year five so that the tenant's got the ability to terminate that lease should it need to, mainly to do with its business, if it's not making profit or actually these premises aren't quite working for us or for whatever reason it is, uh, the ability to be able to terminate. Uh, the other thing for a tenant on the main terms would be what we call alienation, which is already a word that they're going to think when they see the terms of the lease. But anyway, alienation means can I sell or sublet this, these premises? So, for example, tenant gets themselves into financial difficulties, what is their option? One option could be to assign it, to another tenant and let them take on the responsibility or possibly sublet it to another tenant. They pay the rent to our tenant and then the tenant pays the rent to the landlord, but at least it's stopping, at least it's helping their cash flow because they don't have that outgoings anymore. It comes with its own complications, but that's the essence of it. So whenever you're taking a lease, you need to make sure that you can assign it to somebody or you can sublet it. So you, at least you've got options if, if something goes wrong. Other provisions for a small business are usually guarantor rent deposit. If I'm acting for a tenant, I would always be going, go with a rent deposit. Yes, it cuts into your capital, but better that than being a guarantor as an individual because the consequences could be quite, let's just say, damaging if something should go wrong. Um, I would, yeah, I'd say those, those were the, the main elements of a lease that a tenant needs to look at and these will be generally found in that in the heads of terms okay we've just talked about sort of the whole risk of you know things going wrong and getting as much of a helping hand as possible let's just say things are running tickety-boo for sort of you know five six years you're coming to the end of a lease and you're looking to renew let's just talk through that process when you know, you've got your renewal date set five years out from when you first start. You're going to approach year five. How soon from that renewal date should you look at sort of either renegotiating or extending the terms of those leases? I would always say to a tenant, think about it at least two years before the end of your lease. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. But actually, leases can sometimes take a long time to document that's not through lawyers' faults. That can be through... Are you and sure? Can always, well, it's going to sometimes be lawyers' fault. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not passing the buck here. Um, there can be all sorts of factors, but I think it's something that they need to start thinking about, if not actioning. Um, if, if the tenant's happy and wants to stay in the premises, it would very much depend on the type of lease they have. So we have two types of leases. So we have leases which are what we call within the Act and those that are without the Act. And what I mean by that is that certain leases will have the benefit of what we call the security of tenure rights of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, which means that the landlord must grant you a new lease on similar terms, obviously rent to be negotiated. However, if you have a lease which is outside the Act, none of those rules apply, at which point it is a case of negotiation. So hence I'm saying, think about it two years prior to your expiry date, because if you have got a lease outside the 1954 Act, then you won't have a right to renew. <laughs> and if the, if the landlord's not willing to renew with you or comes up with a ridiculous rent, you've got ample time to go and source a property 
and negotiate new terms. So if you're running a factory, for example, yeah, having a lease outside the act seems a, a bit like commercial suicide because yes. you've got to remove a lot of plant and machinery to and relocate your business if you're if you're running a lease in, in sort of those terms because you you know you, you imagine if you've got a warehouse full of unfinished goods you're like yep yeah, yeah no you <laughs> I haven't you haven't thought about your lease and I, the landlord goes to you, yeah sorry no I'm gonna knock it down turn it into houses uh, bye bye. <laughs> Well, good point. Um, in those instances, just to, before I go on to the other thing, if, if a landlord is redeveloping the land, even if you've got a lease inside or outside the Act, they can still refuse on the grounds of redevelopment. So there's no guarantee, even if you've got the benefit of the security of tenure rights, that you're going to get a new lease. But to answer the first question, yes, depending on the type of business, so factory... As you uh, as you rightly point out, yeah, that's where they that's where they reside. That's where they've built up their goodwill. They're not going to want to move out. They want to. That's where they've built their home. That's their home office. Yeah, that's their head office. Sorry, that's where they want to be. So it's very important for that type of business to get a lease that's within the 1954 Act to make sure it's protected. Is our lease in the 1954 Act? Sorry. Is our lease in the 1954 Act? Your lease. Of- Cheeksbury, yes, of course. I negotiated it. <laughs> Good. I, I was getting worried. I was thinking, imagine that's having to relocate. We've Don't worry. We've been relying on that place for a while. I know. I was thinking, from an egg. I hope we've got ours in the, uh, in the 1954 Act. I'm a sermon egg. I always protect my own. <laughs> but, um, so for hairdressers, for example, another type of business that needs to try and get a lease within the Act, they might want to sell their business in the future. And if they sell their business, they'll want to sell the premises because that's where the goodwill's built up. Yeah, it's very located. So it's, it's the lease, whilst it's an investment policy for a landlord, it can equally be an investment policy for the tenant because they may want to sell their business in the future and any new buyer is going to want to make sure, well, that's where the footfall is, that's where I've built the business, that's where the goodwill is. It kind of works like, say, uh, you know, you've got you know, a riverside town and you have a, a cafe on a park where people, you know, in the summer sit down and picnic and they might get a, you know, takeaway coffee or, or takeaway sandwich from there and they eat it outside. I mean, the value in that is, yeah, so is it's colossal, it's isn't it? Absolutely. Think about it. But, it, but it must have a knock-on effect on the landlord, you know, if they, if they can't change it into a into something else and they've got this, you know... They've got a regular stream of income. Yeah, yeah. The landlord generally, as I would always say, always say to any landlord... Better the devil you know. If you've got a tenant that's been there for years, they're paying the rent regularly, they're not any hassle whatsoever, it's not in the landlord's interest to. So, I mean, like, well, no. yeah, so like, well, we're wargaming scenarios of doomsday for our, for, for, for the renters. Yeah. Uh, at least we have a, you know, we could, we could come back and say, actually, you know, often stars do align and they, things tend to work out okay. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the government recognised it many years ago, and obviously in 1954 implemented this legislation because there were a lot of businesses operating and they were finding themselves with no rights whatsoever and they'd have their businesses, you know, they couldn't operate their businesses from their usual premises, they lost lots of money, hence the government stepped in and made it legislation that, you know, these tenants are entitled to a right to remain. I, I, quite, like, them. I quite like it that you have some acts of law that are so old are still working quite well you know that's the beautiful thing about law it has some very old legislation which still stands to this day hence I'm completely addicted to law um, but equally it kind of moves with the times and it's ever changing which is you know obviously we update our clients and make sure they're aware of mm. new changes and commercial 
commercial leases is a big topical area. What was good back in 1960 is completely different now, but that's where you have lawyers to advise you. We don't want to bore you with details. You just need, as a tenant, you just need to know what's going to hit me in the pocket and how can I make sure I, I minimise that as much as possible. And that, to me, is what I love doing, is minimising what my tenants have to spend on, on, that, on their business and in, in respect to the building. So speaking on pockets and prices, we talked a lot about you know cash flow mitigation, things like rent-free periods, so you can do your fist out, mm-hmm. to making sure that the schedules and conditions are as tight as possible so that the risk of spending huge amounts of money at the end of the lease are avoided. When it comes to searching the property in a headline price, obviously you're you're a lawyer, so you don't tend to negotiate prices on behalf of clients. No, no. I mean we don't. We don't. I, of... I can't advise. That's a surveyor's job. That's yeah, exactly. a property agent. So, I mean, we always say to an entrepreneur, if you can afford one, get your own property agent because they will negotiate very hard. We can help in many respects, but that's the one element that we can't help them on. But obviously, you've seen so many different clients hunting for for you know premises to lease to let the kind of things they do is that they use property agents um, and surveyors but do they do th- obviously they do things themselves so from the outside what what what, uh, what things have you seen your your like clients do to just check that the price is you know uh, correct well what th- sort of things th- they can do I think to, to be honest with you some don't some do uh, those that do have a property agent that can actually advise them as to whether or not yeah that's a competitive market rent that's good other tenants who don't have that luxury that can't afford a property agent it's more of a case of okay can my business sustain that and that that level of rent and that's pretty much it so it, it yeah. depends on how and sadly it's as, as with anything in life it depends on how much money you've yeah, got I, mean, I remember we, we were when we were between leases before we were you know, we weren't going to use a property agent or spare to help us find it you know, we didn't see it as a necessary expense because our minimum our minimum point was just to renew our old lease right because it, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. work for us but we think okay let's Let's have a little look around and see what's in the market. And, you know, they were quoting ridiculous figures for stuff that was unoccupied for sort of three or four years. And actually, you know, it, there was no real... You couldn't really negotiate a price or fix it down. It, was all, it seemed pretty fixed. I, th- I think uh, a tenant can then actually do their research. They'll go through the area. They'll look at various premises. Yeah. They'll soon get a feel for what type mm. of level of rent is going on in that area. Um I, th- I think it depends on your location. In London, it's an absolute necessity to have a property agent by your side. It's a ruthless area. That's why I love London. You know, <laughs> but you know, but other areas, it could be quite this. This, you know, um, there's an abundance of office accommodation here in Manchester, for example. You're bound to be able to cut a much better deal in Manchester because there's so much office space available. So it very much depends on the location of where you are. It's not something I advise on. It's just something I've learned through experience. So Ed, let's go over some business news. Anything caught your eye in the news this week? Yeah, so um, we, uh, like a lot of small businesses in London, we rent a co-working space from WeWork and they've been in the news quite a bit this week. So they um, they had a big financing problem. Um, they were burning a lot of cash and they were doing an IPO and it sort of fell through. So SoftBank agreed to... Um, sort of bailed them out and obviously the founder Alexander Newman uh, is now out of the company not a CEO not the CEO uh, and all I would say is if you're a startup founder and you want to 
fail well. This is exactly how he did it. So this guy, he gets uh, the option to buy $970 million back from back from uh, um, SoftBank. And then he gets a $500 million loan to repay a credit line that he took from WeWork. And he has a $185 million consulting fee um, for SoftBank to advise him on sort of how to run the company from the, from the sidelines. Um, that's pretty spectacular. And I'd actually imagine it's quite bitter for their sort of the 4,000 employees that are probably going to be losing their jobs uh, this week. Um, but yeah, that's pretty big news. So one thing I would say is if you're a small business and you're renting from these spaces, just make sure you have an eye out for things like them changing deals, um, uh, any sort of freebies they normally get being sort of uh, strimmed back. So yeah, please just make sure you have a sort of an eye out for that if you're a WeWork tenant. The the second bit of grim news I think this week is um, uh, the British Retail Consortium. So they have... Um, does some analysis again every year that they think another 80, 85,000 jobs have been lost in the retail sector. Um, I don't know how much longer this needs to go on before the government need to realise that things like business rates are a massive drag on this. I know that the market is sort of um, changing the face of retail anyway, but you know the government could do things that that could help this this problem. So again, I, you know it's a pretty tough time out there for sort of um, small medium sized enterprise uh, retailers. Definitely, but um, have you got any good news for medium-sized retailers? Well, not well, not retailers, medium-sized companies. Yes. Yeah. So the okay. um, the the there's a company called um, Alexander Dennis. They manufacture buses. They do a lot of London buses and all the new green ones, so the Enviro Five Hundred, and um, the Hong Kong government has made a massive order for those. So one thing I would say is there is lots of baddies out there, but if there is good news to find, and you t- tend to find it in sort of the medium medium sized companies and top end of the SME bracket, and yeah, things are going okay in the goods in sort of the goods and manufacturing sector. It it's a bit you know it's a bit dragged by by things like Brexit, but um, but um, but but you know there are there are still lots of good news out there. So do you, do you want to go into any more detail about Brexit? No, not at all. I um, <laughs> I think it's really a bad thing to do right now. Things moving very very quickly. Um, and whatever we say today, probably within an hour's time, it's going to be irrelevant. I would just say this: there's still a chance of no deal. It's um, it's getting less and less. But even if it, but if it does happen, you need to be prepared. Just go through the government website. There's actually plenty of stuff on there. There's the stuff for exporters, transporting goods, and I'm also do I'm a lot involved a lot with, with privacy uh, and data. So if you are if you you know you've got an e-com business with a massive European market, um, we can actually help you with making sure that sort of the data's flowing freely across cross-border. Okay, amazing. So, Ed, in terms of Mushroom, do we have any product that updates or anything like that? Yeah, so the um, so basically, same thing, the promotion for the free task is still going. So, as you said in the last episode, um, our free task um, promotion is that you, know, you can get 45 minutes of time with one of our virtual assistants to work with your e-com site or uh, your LinkedIn profile or work with some documents, spreadsheets. Um, that's still going it's going to the end of November um, we've had some good uptake uh, some good fun stuff we've been doing a few uh, weird product updates on on spot on Shopify uh, we've also done a few LinkedIn profiles so uh, it's been fun and you know it's really worth looking at if you need some help or something uh, even if you don't decide to use us later on and then the the final bit of um, update uh, update news from us is that um, we're export we're expoing at um the Derby Business Show in in November thirteenth of November at the Derby Arena. So if you are in Derby and you want to come speak to us about 
making your business more efficient, starting a business, uh, anything you can, anything related to making your life easier, um, you should contact us. Um, as we said in our introducing episode, two episodes back, that we have some sort of extra Q and A's and uh, and features that will be attached to the episode, and one of those is uh, Saul's survey. So Saul, uh, you have been out on the field conducting surveys on leases. Yeah, little a little five question. Little five questions, nothing crazy. Nothing yeah, to but waste the person's day, but yeah. Yeah, and you've been out in. Uh, where did you go? You sort of Peckham. I uh, went to Peckham Levels, which is full of just small well, SMEs basically, and a couple box park locations, which are again full of little SMEs, occasional chains, and just asked. You on Clapham High Street as well? Yeah, I did a bit of Clapham High Street. Just asked around them, either civilians or I went into just bars, little restaurants, wherever, and just asked. The manager or whoever may not may or may not know yeah, yeah specific questions as in have you received rent 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 free period yeah 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 that's good well, and um, yeah, yeah we had like we had like you know we had over hundred responses which is brilliant yeah and um, what 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 key things stuck struck out to you on the survey um, looking at I mean at during the time not much now looking at the the um, the results the data that is being collected I can see. People not knowing about if their lease is protected by the 1954 Act. Yeah, this big one actually. It's, 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 well, the question was, if so, as, uh, the question previous was, are you aware of the 1954 Act? And then, if so, do you know if your lease is protected by this Act or not? And a lot of people were putting no as an I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, but it, you know, it's quite important. You know, as Jane was saying, it's a really important yeah, I mean, it's thing huge. to cover. It's thing to cover and actually, you know, not and having not that. knowing, well, not being aware is one thing, and then not knowing if you're covered by it or not is a, yeah. another thing. I mean, one thing that struck out to me as well was the, um, you know, uh, the uh, schedule of a condition. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the majority of people that are saying they don't have a schedule of condition attached, but... Uh, yeah, Jane was saying that's a real, that's a real penny, you know, penny pincher. It's a real purse killer, and you know, mm. still forty percent of the respondents in you know business owners in South London don't actually have a schedule of conditions attached. A lot of people attached. weren't aware of. A lot of people said they don't have one because they weren't aware of what one was. So really? They, yeah. yeah. So it was more. They may have just said no because they were like, yeah. "I'm not even, yeah. I'm not even aware of what a schedule condition is." Maybe they meant in a different word or in different terms. So we've talked a lot about the intricacies of the, you know, the things that you know a business owners should look for when leasing a property. But let's just sort of put like an action plan, a scenario, hypothetical scenario together. I'm looking to lease my first business. Okay, what does that process? look like in terms of the nuts and bolts and the correspondence I would have with you as a solicitor uh, and then how long would that take? What kind of things would have to happen? Okay, so from start to finish, so to start off with, we would usually, uh, we'd obviously get in touch with the landlord solicitor, obviously I'm active for a tenant, and I would be requesting the, what we call the contract pack, which would be the draft lease, which we need to go through and negotiate. We would also be looking at the title aspects and doing carrying out what we call the due diligence and the due diligence is basically making sure a the landlord owns the property so it's like looking on the land registry yeah yeah so they would send us all the all this information from the landlord solicitor so we want to make sure that the landlord can let the property does he own it 
Mm. Has he got a lender on there? If so, we're going to need consent to protect the tenant. Um, we are also going to carry out various searches on the on the property. We need to make sure that he can use it for its given purpose. So if it's offices, we would need to make sure it's got the correct planning permission for them to do that. Be one or whatever. Exactly. Um, we would be checking out correspondence in the set and various inquiries, such as is there any disputes going on at the moment? Is there, you know, uh, are the are the meters separate? For example, I've had instances like in a multi where, multi-tenant multi yeah. Block. So you could have a multi-tenant block, and let's just say you've got offices above and you've got a hairdresser downstairs. Well, I would absolutely want to make sure I've got my own separate water meter because those hairdressers love their water. There is no way I am having a water meter shared with a hairdresser's, for example. So these are the sort of things we check. We're basically making sure that the tenant can use it. There's a lot of practical knowledge you've got to you've got to apply and like business Absolutely. intuition there because you know imagine if you're a waspy kid out of university working on real estate and you didn't realise that a hairdresser uses, you know, I think there's a lot more there's a lot more practicalities when as a lawyer that one has to advise a tenant on, even the simplest things like, have you been in the premises and got your mobile phone out and tried to phone somebody? <laughs> because the last thing you want to do, you're operating an internet business, for example, and you've got no internet because the reception is so terrible you can't talk on the phone. So even simple things like that, we're always recommending to our clients, go out there, make a call. I don't care who you call, just make sure you can make the call and how good is the reception. Yeah. If you've got no good reception, doesn't matter how cheap it is, move on out, <laughs> find somewhere else. So all these little basic things, a restaurant for example, okay, so you know, your Italian restaurant, let's just say, okay, there's a lovely little pavement out there, can we put chairs and tables? Well, actually, no. But, however, if you need to put your tables out, because obviously that means more covers for them, equals more money, then yes, we can talk to the landlord or we can talk to the local authority and, and look at maybe getting a licence to have those, seat, those chairs and tables out there. So it very much depends on the business that you're operating. Mm. And that's the important thing. So for us as lawyers, we step our shoes in the business of whatever it is, restaurant, hotel, Whatever it is, if I'm running a restaurant, what do I need to do? So every time we have a lease at Jane Hartley Associates, we're thinking about their business product. What are they promoting? And can we achieve that within the terms of this lease? Because as I said before, the lease is the Bible. Timing-wise, it's always how long is a piece of string. You'll never get a lawyer saying it's going to take two weeks. It's no, you're, you're already months. bloody awkward about that stuff, aren't you? We are, I like to, do, I don't like to think we're awkward, it's just that we just can't answer that question, it's just an impossible question. Naturally, we're going to push it, but various hurdles can come against us. I can give you, I would say, on average, I've pulled a commercial lease through in two weeks. I've pulled a commercial lease in a little longer than that. What's the longest commercial lease you've had to pull through? It was a very tricky deal, and there were a lot of arguments over clauses. So... Uh, that particular one took 12 months, in fact. Oh, right, nice. Yeah, so, well, just over 12 months. But that was because of various factors. So, for example, some tenants, are they don't want us to negotiate, and that's fine. But if we're negotiating, it's like anything in, good, anything in life, patience is a virtue. Keep pushing, and they'll eventually give in. Sometimes they won't, sometimes they will. But it very much depends. Mm. So you've done the due diligence. Yeah. You're then going to debate the clauses on the lease. Yeah. 
uh, maybe even do wholesale redrafts for sections if they're really bad. If it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what are the next what's the next step? So once you've got a final form of lease that goes out for signature, we all then agree a completion date. The money's passed over. The other important thing to factor in is depending on the length of the lease is what what do I need to do with that lease of the land registry. So it's very important that a lease over a certain period of time must be registered at the land registry to be legally binding. So what what sort of time? So if the lease is seven years or more, it must get registered at the land registry. Very important because otherwise, uh, it's it's not it can have um, consequences. What if you're running a three year lease and you run it for three? three so if you've got a three year lease, that's not what we deem a registrable lease. However, if it grants rights over certain areas of the landlord's title, then we need to register that with the land registry in a, in a different way called, uh, it would be called a dis- disclosable interest because we have to protect the rights that have been granted. But again, the tenant doesn't need to worry about those technicalities. That's where we come in. That's where we make sure that they're protected. So that by that point, and by the time we're dealing with land registry, our tenants are in, they're operating their business, happy days, they're not worried about that, and I'm not going to bug them about that. I just tell them when it's all finished. That's what they want to know. Nice. Great. Well, thanks for ha- uh, coming on to this and, and talking well, all thank leases. You, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, I think it was very helpful. So, Ed, what can our listeners take from this episode? Yeah, so um, I, I think the main thing really is just with leases, it can be seen as quite a trivial thing or quite a small thing you know when you're just really want to get on with selling or producing whatever you, you you're intending to sell but actually um a lease agreement it could be one of those things that can really bite you um if you decide to move or sell the company so you know it can be an expensive problem to have if you if you don't think about it it's a you know a really important piece of risk management and locking down sort of how your how your estate how your site works um i think jane really did convey that quite well um i would just say this actually if you are in Manchester or actually anywhere in the in the country, but particularly Manchester, if you want to go see her physically, is um, yeah, she's she's on King Street and her website www.janehartleyassociates.co.uk. Um, you should go visit that. Um, we have a link in the description of the podcast as well. And also, if you uh, if you search for Jane Hartley Associates, she'll she'll come up in Google. But yeah, she's definitely worth um, um, you know uh, giving an email if you've got some issues with your leases. So, if any of you guys thought some of the jargon in this episode was a bit confusing, head over to our website and we've actually got a jargon buster, which will help you understand the more technical terms. We also have a survey, which has produced the results of small, medium-sized business owners and their knowledge on leases. Okay, so Ed, what will be coming up next week? So, we've got John Marley, who is a Treasury consultant, and he works for um, Smart Currency Business. Um, Smart Currency Business are a really cool uh, company. They basically help businesses move money across border. Uh, but they also help with some advice stuff. So they actually help companies plan for foreign currency movements as well. And with things like hedging, um, it is quite a technical podcast. There'll be lots of detail. But if you trade internationally, um, it's a really good one to to, to actually listen to. Um, and I think it's quite timely at the moment, obviously, with the B word. Um, <laughs> uh, because obviously uh, the pound has moved so much this year. that obviously, you know... 10, you know, anywhere between 1 and 8, I think 8%, I think it's maybe, maybe in the highest move. It did, right? It, 8% since January. Yeah, 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 you know, 1 to 8% movement um, at any given time or time period, you know, that can make a big difference to your profits and your and the ability for you to sell your, your product competitively. So planning for that is actually really, really important. 
Okay guys, well that's it for today and we'll catch you next week.